0: Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Welcome back. We are continuing in our Hispanic Heritage Month, and today we are joined by my good friend, colleague, my boy, partner, Luis Rosa. Welcome back to the show, Luis.
1: Thank you, Emlyn, again, man. Always a pleasure and an honor.
0: Yeah, man, so finally got you on. I know we've been having a lot of women on for Hispanic Heritage Month, with there's nothing wrong with that. But I said, how can I continue to have a Hispanic Heritage Month and not have my boy on? We want to just thank you for coming on and just chop it up a little bit, you know, just about a few things. And for the listeners that may have, you know, some of them already heard you, and I know you have your own podcast, but if you can give us a little background of yourself, you know, brief little introduction. So people that may not know who you are, which I don't know if there's anybody out there, but people that may not know who you are, if you can give us a little background for them.
1: Absolutely, man. Far too kind, man. Thank you. Well, I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. For those of you that don't know, the Dominican Republic is a paradise on earth. And it's a small little island in the Caribbean. It's actually one of a kind where one island hosts two nations. So we share the island with my brethren from Haiti. So shout out to Haiti. And yeah, I grew up there until I was age 11, moved to the United States, to New York. And I lived there most of my adult life. And then now I live in Las Vegas and soon moving to California. (laughs) I have my own practice called Build a Better Financial Future. I also have my own podcast called On My Way to Wealth. And yeah, just growing up in Washington Heights and Dominican Republic, it's a crazy mix. Just having come from a different country to the United States, even though Washington Heights was mostly Spanish speaking at the time, mostly Dominican it was still a culture shock for me because I had to get new friends and I also had to learn the language. And that was part of the struggle of growing up for sure because a lot of my people that ended up being friends with, they were Dominican background, but they were born and raised in the US and some of them didn't even speak fluent Spanish. So it was still a struggle for me.
0: (laughs) You know, we didn't talk about that much actually. On the first show, I know just growing up and not speaking, you know, moving from your home country to move here, Immigrating here and then having to learn English, which is not easy, like English is not the I mean I think Mandarin Chinese is the hardest language, and then English is the second hardest language to learn because you know like something as simple as there, there and there, like there's three totally different things right. all spe- you know so I mean I can only imagine trying to learn English, and that's crazy, man I, I never really thought about it, you know I mean, I guess not in your case at least with my wife, she had to learn she's ESL too. And yeah, man. So that could be challenging.
1: Yeah. And it was funny you mentioned ESL. Yeah. English as a second language. I remember that vividly. It's one of the reasons, too, where I feel like I didn't do as well in school. It's because when I first came here, I was going to classes in Spanish, but then there was a time where I needed to transition to English classes. When that did happen, eventually, I still wasn't like fully fluent in English. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like still struggling, like reading a science book in English. It was just like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, it was like two different languages at that point, English and science, right? (laughs) 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 And that was a struggle, man. And you know, another part of it was also, like we didn't all come here at the same time because the way the immigration system is set up, like my father had to come here first, four years ahead of us. And That took a while for, I mean, four years without your dad, you know, and I was already like eight years old at the time. And I could only imagine, like, I don't even know how they did it, man. Because I can't imagine being away from my wife, just seeing her like once, twice a year tops, you know. So my father had to come here first. He was working at a factory, sending money back home, trying to save some money. He was renting a room in Washington Heights. He didn't even have his own apartment. He just lived in somebody else's house. And then I remember when we first got here, We came to that room like he didn't have an apartment yet. He had to get two little sandwich beds and my mom and him slept in one. My brother and I slept in the other. Two of my sisters had to go with like family friends and just stay, you know, and then eventually he got a one bedroom apartment, which he had to divide the living room with plywood and made like his own little makeshift bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then the one actual bedroom. Then it was all of us. There was up to 10 people in the apartment at some point because there's six of us siblings plus my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of a struggle growing up, man. But <laughs> that, I, you know, Yeah, you're right. Sorry. A lot of people don't realize that because they're like, they've only seen me now as grown. and. and
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important, bro. Because like, the reason why I think it's so important is because, think about this. The industry is being filled with, People that have similar stories to you so not being filled but we are entering into the industry with people that have similar backgrounds to you growing up not having much having you know multiple family members living in a house in my house we had the same thing so it was me my grandparents my mom lived there my uncles lived there I mean we all lived in the house it does something to you like when you come from humble beginnings and you get an opportunity to get into the industry you wonder why we come in and We work the way we work because we've been on the other side of it. When you're used to having, in my opinion, I could say, when I was used to having nothing, don't give me like a glimmer of hope and a chance to have something because I'm going to go after it 100 200% to try to get it. Man, this is awesome to hear this part of your story because we, like I said, we didn't talk about it. Well, I know we're going to jump into like your Hispanic background and upbringing and assimilation and and then getting into your career. I think we're right in the smack dab middle of that. So if you continue with the story, Luis, continue with the story, please.
1: Yeah, I mean, you brought up a great point, man. It's just part of that growing up that gives you that drive. There are certain things that people take for granted, even me now today, that just weren't then. You know, like simple things like electricity. You know, when I was growing up in the Dominican Republic, you couldn't just like turn on the switch and the light was there. It's like you had rolling blackouts for days. I remember when I had to bury my grandfather, I had to wait to like iron my clothes because there was no electricity. We didn't have a generator. Growing up, like we couldn't keep anything in the fridge that would spoil. Like we actually had a fridge, but it was just like four gallons of water, <laughs> you know, because you had to buy powdered milk because you can't put milk in the fridge because you might lose power for hours and days, mm-hmm. right? It's little things like that, man. So I ended up having to like food shop on a daily basis or just stock up on things that weren't perishable. Electricity, running water, like growing up in the yard, I couldn't just go into my bathroom and turn on the shower. Like, I had a, it was a bucket system, you know, I had like a tank full of water in the back of the house, and that's how I showered until I got to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! And I'm looking at the, you know, it's a funny story, when I first got here, my first shower, I see these three things, these three knobs, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, what is this? How do you turn this thing on? It was hot water, cold water, and then the middle one goes from the faucet to the shower.
0: Yep. <laughs> I had no idea what I was looking at, bro. Like, it's the simple things, man, that we just take for granted as living here in the U.S., bro. I promise you that. Just thinking about listening to your story. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, we grew up similar. And I was like, nah, it wasn't that similar. You grew up a lot tougher than I did, man, leaving the, the DR. So, man, go ahead, though. Finish that. I'm sorry to interrupt, man.
1: No, no, it's all good, man. So finally, yeah, once we got to the U.S., it was better without a doubt. You know, it's like, okay, now we have running water, electricity. You know, a funny story, when I first got here, right from the airport, my mother had this mini fridge, like the ones that you take with you to college, Mm -hmm. and she put a bow on it. And to me, it was like, wow, like, it was just like, it's abundance. That's what it meant to me. Like, look, you can eat whatever you want now. (laughs)
0: You
1: know, growing up, like, imagine, I mean, there were six children, two parents, two grandparents, all 10 of us lived in the house, in the yard. And things were rash, and then people laugh at me when I tell them, like, we used to eat chicken and I was one of the quote unquote lucky ones. I ate meat every day. I have some friends that didn't even eat meat every day, but you got a part of the chicken based on your age, you know? So like my father got the thigh, you know, like, it just it went all the way down. In my opinion, it should have been backwards. I was the youngest. I should have gotten the the nice meaty part, but I ended up like (laughs) my part was, you know, I got the neck and the gizzard, you know, like that was what I ate. Like I couldn't count on like, Oh, I can't eat a thigh, you know? (laughs) I wasn't at the age group yet, you know? And then my sister got, you know, like the little media parts. It was just funny, man. When you look at it now, it's like.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say to that because there's not much on I, I've eaten those before. There ain't much meat on it. There ain't. It was just skin and bones,
1: bro. So I had the illusion of eating meat once today, but it's all good.
0: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, bro. I mean, I think like when you think about like minority culture, and I'm just saying minority culture just doing a broad sweeping minority culture. Like, You think about the foods we eat. We eat what was available to us and we're eating everything on the chicken. We eat everything on the pig.
1: Oh yeah, nothing went to feed, everything, man. All that. Nothing went to
0: eat. It's funny just to, you know, I heard a comedian say, he said, brother's trying to figure out a way to barbecue the oink. Like we want everything on the pig. If it makes a noise, we cooking that too. Like we cook it all. So (laughs) I know that it's a familiar place for most minorities and then even minorities that have in another country. So how did you assimilate? What did you do to like kind of find your bearings and assimilate?
1: Yeah. So growing up in Washington Heights was a little easier because it was predominantly Dominicans. Even though I didn't know English at the time, there were people who spoke Spanish. You can walk into the bodega and just be like, you know, speaking Spanish and order whatever you needed to. So it took a little like pressure off from that end. But then the students that were my age that later became my friends, a lot of them you were just like born and raised there. And I need to then learn English to be able to hang out with them, you know? So there were times like I was hanging out with people who didn't speak Spanish and I didn't speak English. I don't know how we communicated, but eventually I grew into it, right? And a lot of them were helpful, you know, and, and a lot of them were bullies too, you know? Just like I was a guy that got picked on because I didn't know English, you know? So it was really easy. I was an easy mark, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that really helped me, believe it or not, was uh, listening to hip hop. I remember when I first came here in 91, man, crisscross Cross and Wu-Tang Clan. This is another funny thing that now I listen to a song from the early 90s and I now know what they were saying mm-hmm. because I loved it, but I didn't know what they were saying. Even though I learned the words, <laughs> I actually didn't know what they meant, but it helped me like just get used to listening to the accent. So one of the things I started doing was I saw a lot of my friends that were in a similar boat as me that they made a mistake, I feel like of continuing to watch like TV in Spanish and using the, it was like an SAP button, the SAP button on the, and I get it translated. I was like, nah, man, like I'm going to watch English TV and I'm going to listen to hip hop and I'm going to learn English. And it took me a bit, but I just put myself through that. Like I need to learn this. Well, I was 11 years old. So it wasn't as hard as somebody that came later, like some of my siblings who came already as adults.
0: So what song was it that you were singing? I need to know. We got to know. People want to know. Well, you got, so you got Chris Cross, remember jump? Jump, jump yep. Yeah, you had House of
1: Pain was out at the time. Mm-hmm. That's effects. hmm And then man, Wu-Tang, man. You a cream.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it had to be cream during that time, right? <laughs> like, did they Method make the man songs during that time? Yeah, M-E-T-H-O-D. Yeah, yeah that, that was that's catchy. Like my stuff, guy right. Man. there. Right.
1: I fell in love with it, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Tacal had to be in rotation big time. That came out like '93.
1: Yeah, 1994, yeah, Release your delve, Bring the Pain. Oh, I was, man, I became a Wu fan. Forget about it, man. I could still recite all the members in the same order as the beginning of the Method Man song, you know?
0: <laughs> yep, that's good stuff. It's crazy how hip-hop culture, and you think about it, and I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but if you think about the hip-hop culture, how because it's so popular and has you know wide reach, it's international now it's probably responsible for more people learning English than we actually give it credit to. Absolutely. Because you have to learn the words. Maybe you don't understand everything, but you can sing a song and sing along with what they're saying and then later on understand what you're saying. But I think that's pretty impactful. How did you get from there and get into your career?
1: Yeah, let me give you that switch. Now, before I do that, based on what you mentioned, it was so funny how like I truly feel like a lot of the English I learned was from hip hop. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to my English professor, asking him what certain things meant because, you know, I wasn't being taught in school. So, like, I remember there's one Wu-Tang song that mentions, like, oh, I got to get my props. And then I go to my English teacher. I'm like, what are props? Because I really didn't understand what the song was saying. And the teacher was telling me about the things that get used in art. And like when you record a movie, like, oh, they use props, but like it just didn't make sense, you yeah. know. But it was funny because he didn't know either in what the song was talking about. <laughs> so it just took me a while as an adult. Then I listened to a song and I'm like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Now I know what they're talking about. And I'm like, 20 years later <laughs> is when I finally know what the song meant, you know, which is insane. But yeah, so as far as my career, I was working at a mailroom as a mailroom clerk while I was going to college. And then there, one of my coworkers introduced me to a CFP professional. I went to school and I got a degree in economics and even as I was graduating, I still had no idea what I wanted to do as a career. Like economics is super broad. yeah. So I was just like, what do I do with this thing? Like, do I go teach? You know, that's one thing I was kind of like contemplating go to the school system in New York city. But then she introduced me to the CFP professional who was kind of like expanding at the time. He had a CPA partner. So they were doing financial planning, investment management, and taxes. And then he's like, look, you can come work for me part-time. Maybe you can get your mortgage license or your life insurance license and start doing that for our clients. So I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So I was working in the mailroom from 8.30 to 4.30. And then I would drive to the Bronx and work with him from 5.30 to like 9.30 or 10 at night. And I was just like sitting in at client meetings and seeing what he did behind the scenes. It took me a while to understand what a financial planner did. But then I finally realized, like, OK, we're helping people here reach goals. We're problem solvers. And I fell in love with it. Just I did it long enough where I was able to see the impact that we can have on somebody's lives. I was with people who first started and the first thing was budgeting and then we like saved up for a house and then they got married, had the first kid and then, you know, college plans and all. I'm like, wow, like this is so cool to be able to see that. And I just fell in love with it. That's how my career got started. I ended up working there for 15 years. And then when I moved to Las Vegas, I kind of went on my own and finally opened up my own firm this year.
0: Nice, man. That's super cool. When you think about that, like being able to come into financial planning and being able to help families and stuff, I think it's awesome. And to have the opportunity to work with someone else, you know, almost like an intern, right? Go and, and then build everything right. and then start into your own career and, you know, having your firm now, which is doing very, very well also with podcasts and everything else that you've been able to do. But what I wanted to ask you was about what are some common misconceptions about Hispanics and the Hispanic culture that people have out there? I want you to touch on those a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I could think of two of the top of my head right now. One is that we're all the same. I feel like, I mean, I've been called Mexican plenty of times, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously nothing wrong with that. I feel like they're probably the largest group. hmm But a lot of people fail to realize how different like a Puerto Rican and a Dominican can be or, you know, a Mexican and a Colombian. Like it's worlds apart. Yeah, we speak the same overall language. But even within that, like we speak different dialects, different ways, you know. So sometimes I go to Mexico and I don't know what they're saying and they don't know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. even though we both speak Spanish (laughs) Mm -hmm. just because of certain words that I'm just like, I really don't know what that means. Right. So that's one just like the general misconception that we just all the same.
0: And I think that that goes in line with what you were saying. Like you were listening to a hip hop song, right? They had a word that they used. You asked someone, they said props, and you thought it was something. He thought it was something else, and it wasn't the same thing. And this is with English.
1: Right, exactly. And the other one is, I feel like a lot of people think that being a minority in general, I feel like Hispanic, Latino, Black, that a lot of it equates with being poor or not having means, you know, that might be the case in a lot of times, but it's not always the case. Cause I feel like sometimes look at things like getting more people of diverse backgrounds into this industry. One of the things that people immediately think is, oh, we could do scholarships, but I'm like, well, you know, that is nice, but don't automatically assume just because I'm Hispanic, Latino, that I don't have the money to do this. I might need access, but maybe I do have the finances, you know? So I feel like that's also a misconception. There's so many business owners out there that are doing very well, but they still underserved just because they happen to be Hispanic or Latino.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Like typically when you see images of hurt, when you see images of lack, when you see images of pain, when you see images of suffering, it's one of us, you know, it's always Mm -hmm. typically going to be a minority. It's really unfortunate that that's the way that people, the popular culture may view us. We'll call it that. It's unfortunate that the popular culture does that, but I really think we can change that. That's what we're in the midst of doing. What are some resources that you wish you had growing up, and still are resources lacking available to Latinos? What are some of those?
1: Well, one thing I can think of in my case was guidance counselors. There was a guidance counselor in my school, but there were four thousand students, so I could only imagine the caseload. You know, I probably have like eight minutes with you know with them, and they had to keep it moving, right? When it came to applying for college. I really didn't have much guidance into the whole process. I applied to certain schools that maybe there were some that I should have that I didn't. I didn't know how to fill out a a FAFSA application, like a financial aid form. And I wish I had more guidance in that regard. Also, I don't feel like the school itself prepared me. Like when I went to college, I still needed to take remedial math and English. Just because, you know, New York City public schools, Again, and it might be a problem with just overflowing, right? Like 40 kids to a classroom or something. That's one resource I wish I had. And also, I would love to see more of us in positions that people want to be. You know, it's kind of hard to be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would love to see more Dr. Garcia's out there and Congressman Rodriguez, because typically that's not the case. I think it's a problem in many industries, especially in ours, Mm -hmm. for sure. So just those mentors out there that I can see that have my same last name and look like me, that are doing what I want to do, just to know that it is possible. That's definitely a lack, which is why I'm so open with you know people reach out. I'm like, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, for sure. You know, whatever I could do to help, without a doubt.
0: And I think that's something that we probably do as minorities more so because we've had to go through and kind of become you know, our own representation because, right. you know, we look around and then I remember when I met you, I was like, Hey, bro, what's up, man. Is it, you know, my name's Emily, man. We met click soon immediately. I don't even, you know, and it's just like, it's because there's so few of us. So when yeah. we see us like, and I'll be the first to tell you, bro, if I go someplace and it's all majority white and I don't see any black people, immediately I'm looking for Latinos. Okay. Where are the Latinos at? That's, I swear to you, bro. It's, it goes black. Then I'm looking for Latinos and then I'm you know, yeah, like, okay, so where are they at? And then I'm looking for other groups of minorities, but that's definitely my second look. First, I'm looking for black people. Then I'm looking for Latinos. And if I don't find any, either of those, then I'm like, this ain't the place for me. And I'm going to go, <laughs> I swear to you, I'm going to go sit in the corner somewhere and not talk. Cause I don't see any of my peeps out here. Right. It's unfortunate, but I know I'm not the only one that feels that way.
1: Oh, no, certainly not. And that goes back to like, when you go to these like traditional conferences, I know things are changing, but yeah, that was the case back in the day, man. I'll go to a financial planning conference and I just be like, wow, I didn't see anybody that looked like me, man. (laughs) And if I did, you know, they weren't advisors, you know, they were more like in supporting roles and stuff. So yeah, for sure. That's what I get what you're saying Yeah, You just, (laughs) you stayed in, And just try and look for somebody that looks like you just so you can feel at home, right?
0: And then you think about like, so this is the other flip side of that. We'll move on another quick topic after this. But like, think about the way that like, we go to these conferences, right? And if there's no representation of us, I've talked about conferences and my thoughts on them before. But when we're going into a conference and someone's going to give us practice management ideals and their clients don't look like ours, When you're talking to most people that you talk to, and I'm just assuming I haven't asked, but most of the time, the clients that I'm working with, I'm working with the one person in the family that's probably graduated college, first person in the family that's actually gotten a real good job, that has responsibilities to take care of other family members. The person that everybody else in the family looks to for financial decisions is who I usually end up working with first. And that's a totally different, there's no history of money, there's no history of success, there's not, I mean, Like your kids, if you have kids, they're going to be the first, you're the first one to graduate college outside of, you know, maybe your brothers and sisters, but you're not looking to, you don't have, you know, your parents to lean on for financial guidance in stuff that you're doing. And so that is the majority of us planners that come in. And then we got to go to a conference and listen to someone that has nothing to do with our background and try to communicate with us on how we should be talking to our clients. I'm not for that.
1: Yeah. You're so right about that. The experience is completely different. Same thing here. A lot of my clients are the first in their house to graduate college. The first ones to have a job with a 401k. The first ones to get a life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, simple things rather you would think they're the first doing they're like a lot of firsts. the first ones to actually buy a house yeah. and not rent, you know, the first ones to open up their own business, you know, so there's no history of success. You know, And that's one of my goals too. I feel like growing up I saw that where like every generation to me seemed to start from scratch it was like somebody died and at best they left enough to be buried with yeah you know at <laughs> bet
0: it, yeah that was like good you know <laughs> we didn't have to do a car washer like right, you know exactly. sell some food plates or something
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know so I'm like we got to change that. I mean we have to be economically empowered first but to your point you're absolutely right having somebody that's Represents us in these conferences makes a lot of difference. Like, yes, I'm all up for being on a diversity and inclusion panel, but I don't only want to be called to do a diversity and inclusion panel. There's plenty of people out here. You know, you can call Dasarte to talk about stock options. Like I want to see him up on that stage. Mm -hmm. You can call Tyrone to do crypto. Like I don't need to only be called for a diversity and inclusion panel. When you're going back to what you were saying, when I'm working with clients, you know, there's a lot of cultural norms that another advisor just might not know just because it just don't happen to be from that background. I've shared similar struggles and similar backgrounds where I can understand. So to give you an example, like I have some clients that they do a SUSU. It has different names. It basically is a peer-to-peer lending system. Basically you say, you know what? Ten of us are going to get together. We're going to put $100 each and you got to pick a number and then you get $1,000. So if I pick number one, I get my $1,000 right now. I still got to contribute hundred for the next nine weeks, right? There's different versions of that. A lot of them could be a little bit predatory, but like the original one was more kind of like, let's get our money together so that some of the people can get their money ahead of time. So people use that to get immediate cash. Some people use that to force themselves to save. But I feel like if you walk into a traditional financial planning office and somebody tells you, yeah, I'm doing the SUSU, like they're going to look at you like "Yeah, have four heads, mm-hmm. Right. And I understand it, and I don't get on my client's case about that. Yes, you know, we should probably move on from that, but I get it. So you know what? This shows that you have the discipline. Let's translate that into a Roth, (laughs) you know? Slowly, man, but it makes a lot of difference. So that representation.
0: It's all about meeting people where they're at. Yeah. Right? You might not have the same stuff, but I think it's about meeting people where you're at. And that's exactly what we're talking about. You said something about empowerment. What about economic empowerment for minorities and women? What about that? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of the stuff that we want to accomplish could be a lot easier done if we are in a position of power economically. But going back to what I was saying before, where like I felt like every generation was just starting from scratch. Now I'm working with clients where it's like, look, you know, we can talk about leaving a legacy so that your kid doesn't have to start fresh when you die, you know, yeah. you can already set them up. I mean, imagine if before you even had a kid, you talk to a financial planner and then you start saving it on a 529 plan the minute that kid is born. Yeah. And by the time they graduate, they don't have student loans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in and of itself is huge because I know people who graduate with a mortgage, basically, yeah, and student loan debt, right? So imagine you can do that for your kids. Now they don't have that burden. And then you can do other things if you want to. You want to help them out with down payment, you know, and we can show them which is a lot of the work I do too, it's kind of like transgenerational. So I have clients where I'm dealing with like the older parents and the younger kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. We do that balance, you know? So we already know how things are going to get transferred. I know people don't like to talk about death, but it's like, if you're in a position of power, where like, you know what? I don't need anybody else's money. I'm doing good for myself. Yep. Cause I've been educated. I'm saving in my 401k. I'm getting that employee match. I'm taking advantage of compound interest. I'm opening up a business, doing a side hustle, whatever it is. Then the other social things that we worry about, probably a lot easier to deal with, you know, but if you need money as well, and you're like in a position where you are waiting for a handout, you know, some government assistance or whatever, it's not a position of power.
0: It's funny that you said a position, not funny, but interesting that you use position of power, because I think that a lot of times as minorities, we operate from a position of weakness and that's our own fault, right? Sometimes it's something we can't control, but being able to operate from a position of strength financially makes a huge difference. And that has to do with, I think a lot has to do with mindset, quite frankly. I mean, there's some systemic things that we can't change. But what are your thoughts on the mindset of empowerment for minorities? Like, what do we have to have changed internally for us to understand that?
1: That's a very good point, because, you know, it is true. I feel like the opportunity is there. And I live from experience. Like, yeah, you know, I came here and we all lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I went to New York City public schools. Yeah, I've been on welfare. I did get financial aid. I didn't get a full ride to school, but I did get financial aid. And so did my sister. But at the same time, you use that as a stepping stone and then grow from that. I feel like sometimes, like in my case, I can tell you, because of the way that Dominican Republic is, like the government and everything, a lot of the times, because there's so much lack, that mentality stays with the person, even when they come here, where today is what's most important. How am I just going to get by today? And they forget, like, you know, we're no longer getting pensions, you know, like, unless you work for like a government job or certain jobs that have unions and stuff that maybe you have a pension, but for the most part, your average worker just has a 401k. The responsibility to save for your tomorrow is put on you. And I feel like if you don't change the mindset of, let me just do what's best for me today, finding that balance. you know, I need to sacrifice some short-term pleasure for long-term success. And that has to shift put something away for a rainy day. I mean, we see that now with COVID. I mean, this was a rainy day for a lot of people and it still is.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Like when we think about it, if we really would just take the advice of a financial advisor, have 3 to 6 months saved up for emergencies, we would probably not be in this situation for a lot of people. Without a doubt. Right? Like it's just something simple like that. But, you know, it is what it is and here we are, but it's just one of those things like it seems so simple but we, like when we're talking about the minorities and we're talking about us talking to people that this is the first time they've actually come into money. This is the first time we made money. So like, you mean like, you're going to tell me to put some of this money away and defer my instant gratification that, you know, like, cause think about it. Let's take your instance. Let's just take your thing. Okay. So here goes some chicken thigh. We can give you the thigh, give you the breast We the meaty part. Right. Right. And now we're going to put that in front of you and say, wait, Luis, wait, don't eat it just yet. Wait a couple of days because, you know, we got to save some for later. I'm not saving that, especially if it's hot. I'm eating it right now. And so I think that's the mindset that we have as minorities coming in. I'm not waiting to eat my chicken. And so to have that shift is so important for us to create a legacy for, you know, for our families, for our cultures, for children. Just in general, to build that legacy, we have to have that mind shift. And so someone that hasn't identified with that isn't going to have an easy conversation with you and understanding why you want to spend this money right now. Right. Why you got to get the new car, why you got to get, you know, the new shoes, why you're addicted to this. Because I know there's small things, but there's small wins. And when you've had a life full of losses, those small wins mean a lot.
1: Yeah, it's so, so right. I mean, I remember growing up, Where like, you know, Washington Heights, man, people that live in a bedroom in their parents' apartment, you know, but they were driving a Beamer with the rims and tins and the nice sound system, you know, balling, right? The nice watch. Yeah. But (laughs) I could guarantee you they didn't have three, six months of expenses saved.
0: One month. We wouldn't even (laughs) say one month. (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't fix the car. The transmission went out tomorrow is the problem.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's real easy to fall into that trap because you come from not having much to then having the ability to do so. And immediately you think I'm just going to buy stuff. And I did a little exercise. I started asking people, Hey, what would you do if you won the lotto? And most of the answers I always got, people just started describing to me how they were going to spend it. I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to, you know, it, like hardly anybody ever said, Oh yeah, I'm going to put this much to invest. I'm going to open this business or buy some real estate. It was always like, yeah, maybe they talked about buying a house, but that happens when you get that set of money a lot of times. Or so you see it with athletes too, that maybe they didn't have much growing up and all of a sudden they got this multi-million dollar contract and they put everybody on the payroll, <laughs> everybody getting paid. And, you know, next thing you know, they're broke, right? Right. And they're just hoping for that next contract all the time. So that mindset, like you were saying, is what really needs to change. I have people that I speak with sometimes and they don't want to leave anything to their kids at all. They're like, you know, I didn't have any My parents didn't leave me anything. Uh, why should I leave them anything? I'm like, you know, it's not for me to say to leave things to your kids. So I'm not like trying to convince anybody to do that. But you also got to look at, you know, maybe you don't want to leave them anything, but maybe how about they graduate with no student loans? I mean, is that a,
0: a good middle ground? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you help them pay for school? Like, you, I had to struggle. They need to struggle. I'm like, well, that's not the way that we're trying to, you know, work this out. But I had to work three jobs while I went to school, walk uphill, you know, in the snow, buff ways, all that nonsense. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. You sit there, and as the planner, you're like, "That's not what we're trying to do. Like, we don't want that." They, I struggle. They're gonna struggle. It's always one of them, right. and the other one is like, "You know what? I think we want to try to provide for our kids, and we want to do this." I'm not even saying it's always the man or always the woman. It varies because <laughs> it depends on what they went through, and it's hard to navigate that conversation. And if you haven't had experience in the other seat. Being the kid that was raised by these parents, you're not gonna know how to communicate with them the right. way that, you know, you're not gonna be able to empathize with them and have that conversation. Like, I get it. I understand. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. You know, the other conversation is life insurance too. I have clients that th- they don't wanna have that conversation. Mm-hmm. They just like, hey, like when I die, like, you know, whatever. Like, I'll be dead. Who cares? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> we need to have something in writing, like we be designated beneficiary. Like, I know it's morbid but it's like, you know, like you have car insurance, right? You don't want to get into a car accident, but you do have car insurance. So like, well, you need something then. It's the same concept.
0: (laughs) Bro, I've heard that always from my minority clients, always from my minority clients. So when I'm selling life insurance, sitting down at the table and, you know, we're talking about this is, you know, back when I sold life insurance and we're talking, we're like, I'm not getting the policy so I can die and she can go get married with someone else. I was like, So, you know, I'd ask, I got a question loaded for that. So I'm like, okay, you want her to get married because she has to get married to someone else or you want her to get married on her choice because she wants to. (laughs) And if you're still providing, you know, and this could be woman or man, it doesn't necessarily, because I know a lot of women that make more money than their husbands now or their partners, if you will, because it might not always be, you know, anyways, a couple. And if they died and they left you enough money that where money wasn't an issue, wouldn't you think that'd be nice? Yeah, but I don't want her going. I was like, okay you know what? And then I usually just just kind of like, you know, well, I guess just sign right here so we can get this policy going (laughs) because your family needs it, dude. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. And I wanted to ask a little different questions today. These are some questions that you asked the people on your podcast. So I wanted to put you in the hot seat and talk to you about it. But the first one is, what do you love about being Hispanic?
1: One thing I love about it is the diversity within the culture and kind of like alluding to what you said earlier was the feeling of community. Like I could be, you know, in a new place and just meet somebody else that I just was like, yo, what's up, bro? It's like that immediate connection. You know, you just feel like you're home. Yo, what's going on? Hug and all that, you know? <laughs> It's crazy. And then also just from a cultural standpoint, like I could be listening to a bachata song, Romeo Santos, and then the next song could be a Wu-Tang song. And that's all because of how I grew up. So I can enjoy a lot more. I feel like,
0: yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> now you didn't mention any terror squad. I'm hoping you got some terror squad in there. I'm hoping, oh, you know it, man. Okay. I was going to say, punishment. okay. I just, just making sure. I was like, come on now. We cannot have no terror squad on there. <laughs> Tell me one thing that you're grateful for today.
1: The first thing I would have to say is my health, because, you know, especially now when you see like just people passing away, COVID and all that, I'm like, you know, they can take everything away from me. But if I'm healthy with my work ethic, it's just going to be a matter of time before I get it all back, you know. But if you're not healthy, man, you ain't getting nothing back, man. Health is wealth. That's what I'm mainly thankful for. And then my family, you know, my wife and parents and my siblings and my nephews and nieces, man, everybody's doing good health wise, man. So I'm super grateful for that.
0: You know what? And I think that sometimes it's taken for granted. In my journal every day, the first thing that I write now is I'm thankful for the health of my family. And it's a small thing, and I think about it often, but it's so good to just take time and be thankful for that. What's your favorite Latin cuisine?
1: So definitely got to go with Dominican food. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> I'll give you a specific dish I love. is my mother's yuca con y cebollas. It's basically, it's a white yam. Mm -hmm. Like cassava, I guess some people might know it as, Mm -hmm. with avocado and then red and white sauteed onions. Very simple to make, super cheap to make, too. Super heavy carb loading for sure. So have it on carb day because you might need a nap after that. And then uh, if you throw in some codfish on top of that, like sauteed codfish with like red peppers, oh man, then you're in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I like Colombian food, love Mexican food. Mm and Cuban and Puerto Rican.
0: See, I've never had Colombian food. I can't say that. And then when we met, we went to a Peruvian restaurant.
1: Yeah. Oh, Colombia, bro. In uh, Queens. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this Jackson Heights. It's like a predominantly Colombian neighborhood. I don't know if it still is now, but it was when I was in New York, man. I used to go to those Colombian places. Oh, man. Don't get me started. I'm
0: going to have to try it out. I'm going to find me a Colombian place. You know, here in Cali, we got it all. So I'll find a Colombian spot. What is your best... Piece of advice for Hispanic men and women out there trying to live their dream.
1: Si Se Puede, made very famous by President Obama. Yes, you can. You know, it's surround yourself with people whose success you admire and want to emulate. Like your parents were right. The people you hang out with will have a really impactful way of shaping how your life turns out find people that you want to emulate. There's nothing wrong with learning from people's successes and failures. You know, why do you want to go through something if somebody else already went through it and they could just tell you the mistakes to avoid in the first place, right? You can learn a tremendous amount of information from them and believe in yourself and help to uplift others. Like, don't take the ladder out when you do happen to make it to that. You know, just remember, you were once at a spot where you need help. So definitely extend that hand. We need more mentors out there. So remember to pay it forward as well. Once you get up there.
0: I love that. I love it. Just because I think like we have to help each other. We got to, like there's no help coming. I promise you that. If you're looking over the Hill unless it's someone like us walking over the Hill to help you, they ain't going to be no one else. This is awesome, man. And I'm glad we were able to have you on to talk about your Hispanic heritage, your personal Hispanic heritage. Even I learned some stuff about you I didn't know today. So, man, so thank you, brother. I really appreciate you, man, coming on and sharing your story.
1: My pleasure. I bet you didn't know you were going to
0: talk about chicken parts. No, I did not know that. But you got to realize, you know, you got to realize, like, we, I didn't eat all those same chicken parts. You know what I mean? Like I said, we eat everything. We eat the cluck off the chicken if they if we could fry it, right? I mean, you know. But, yeah, I had no idea. I really had no idea. I didn't know about the not running water. Because I heard, it sounds very similar when I talk to to Desarte about, you know, when he would go home and visit, go back to visit his family in Africa and some of my other friends that have grown up in other countries. I really appreciate it, bro. Like that really gives another level of depth to your story. And honestly, makes me root for you even more to see your success.
1: Thank you, man. Likewise, I appreciate the opportunity, man. I'm so glad we met. And I know this is just the beginning.
0: Absolutely, brother. We got some good things. Luis and I are working on some big things here in the works. You guys will hear more about that when the time is right. But as for now, this is the Minority Money Podcast. My name is Emlyn Miles Mattingly. I'm the host. Until next time, we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP. To support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know. That really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or a CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast. So we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.